0: What's up, everybody? James Jenkins here. And this opener is a little bit different than the first four episodes. There's a very specific reason for that. It's come to my attention, I guess, conclusion, I should say, that the openers that I had planned to do, you know, having something funny or sketch comedy type of thing uh, to begin every episode is really just unsustainable. When I started looking at the big picture and Realizing I'm spending almost as much time prepping for the opener, which is like two minutes at most as I am for the episode as a whole, uh, as far as taking notes and whatnot. So uh, effective immediately, we're going to go back to a standard opener like you'd hear on most podcasts. And I reserve the right to have some funny sketch comedy type of open uh, on occasion when inspiration strikes, um, but effective immediately uh, we're going to be putting our full effort into the actual content of the podcast so i think that's going to be better for everyone in the long run anyway because you didn't come here to laugh about insurance humor that nobody else finds as amusing as we do so anyways i'm going to jump into the intro bumper and we're going to get started with episode five so uh here we go there are two kinds of people in the insurance industry Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man, it's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties they're eager to share their stories and best practices with you i'm your host james jenkins welcome to agency freedom podcast let's go all right what's up everybody episode five welcome to the agency freedom podcast i'm your host james jenkins This is the show where we take you from captive to indie, to market domination, wherever you are in the country, whatever your niche, your specialization, however you want to run your agency, our goal is to help you achieve your flavor of market domination. A couple of quick housekeeping items, we're going to jump straight into the content here for episode five. Those three things are very simply uh, that we would ask for three actions from you. First, that you would subscribe to Agency Freedom Podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. Second, that you would leave a review if you find the content engaging and useful. Please share your opinion in just a couple of sentences with uh, whatever platform you're listening on. Now, these two actions really help drive the algorithm for organic content, people finding us on their own without specifically. Uh, searching for it or clicking a link, like many of you probably do, to get uh, to Agency Freedom Podcast. And the third most important request is that you would share this podcast with someone who is in the captive world, either an agency owner or an, a team member, an employee, and you would help them get connected with the content that will help them make their freedom jump over to the independent side and enjoy. Uh, the benefits of being in the independent side of the insurance world and all of the things that you and I enjoy. So, send us an email at podcast at riskwell.com. If you have any suggestions, requests, Um, if there's something that I said to offend or irritate you, that's uh, consider that your complaint box. And the only other thing I would say is the episode recaps. Anything that I talk about today that is of a a best practice. You should be doing this sort of thing. Any resources or links that we reference in the show, you can get your hands on that delivered straight to your inbox every single week. Uh, you can sign up for that email list at riskwell.com podcast. You can also just visit Agency Freedom Podcast or Google that if you want. That'll take you to the very same place. So that's it for our housekeeping items for uh, this episode. We're going to jump right into the content. Episode 5, we are in continuing our uh, trod through the 12 core areas uh, of concepts for uh, what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. We started back in Episode 1. With the pilot and the origin story kind of laid the foundation for why do we have another insurance podcast? What's the reason for it? And then episodes two, three, and four, we have been making our way through the 12 concepts. So far, we've covered operational, which was episode two by itself. Then social and technological, episode three. Uh, Last episode, episode four, was contractual and physical concerns. This episode, we are cramming three into the episode, and I think it will probably be a shorter one than most. The topics we're going to be talking about today don't have as much meat on the bone. There's not a ton of stuff to unpack here. We're going to be diving into three topics, innovational concerns, financial concerns, and environmental concerns, which are similar to the physical elements that we talked about last episode, but they are definitely uh, distinct and deserve a little bit of their own limelight. So I'm going to jump right into the content. And again, if you want a copy of my episode notes, you can just sign up at riskwell.com podcast, and we'll email those directly to you automatically every Friday morning. So when we look at Innovational Concerns, We're really taking a look at the basic question of how can we get better? How can we innovate in a meaningful way that will drive uh, effective growth, that will drive profit, that will drive top-line revenue, and, and drive overall efficiency across your agency for your efforts, for your team's efforts, for the people that you partner with, for the process with the client themselves. So there's really four areas of innovational concerns that we're going to look at today. The first is going to be internal. The second is going to be external innovation. The third is sales process itself. Taking a look at how we can make the sales process itself better and more innovative in your office. And the last one is client stewardship. Once you win someone... How are we going to continually innovate the client experience to make sure that we're able to keep them and keep them for a long time and keep them happy? Because as you have probably seen, if you've been in the industry for any length of time, it is significantly easier to keep a client than it is to win them in the first place. So if you're doing your job and stewarding that client relationship well, and innovating wherever possible. You are increasing the lifetime value of that client, and thereby your overall profitability of your entire book of business, as that will drive retention and drive revenue, which helps make everything else happen. So let's jump into the first one that we just got finished laying out in an outline form, internal innovation. We're really taking a look at internal to your office. How are you able to innovate the process with your team members, with the processes, the systems, the workflows, the technology, how can you find ways to improve internally? In some ways, I want to challenge you to take a look at this is practical, but also existential. When it comes to your team, the layout of your agency's org chart, your organizational chart, how are you set up both currently and what is your path to an ideal org chart? Have you made Path? Have you gone through uh, traction or something similar that it helps you lay out the, in traction we call it the VTO, the Vision Traction Organizer, with a one-year, three-year, and ten-year plan, and then we reverse engineer the end goal to find out what your daily and weekly and monthly activity at a specific level should look like. Something that you need to put some thought into is what does your organizational chart look like currently, and how can you innovate when it comes to your team, your team members, your expectations, your roles and responsibilities, perhaps the way that you compensate your team and get them where they want to be. Because if your team is happy, if your team is productive, that you personally and your agency are much more likely to be profitable and happy and effective as well. Because there's really only so much that you and I can do as sales leaders, as business owners, without an effective, efficient team digging in and, and bought into the process. So how can we set them up For success, it can start with the org chart. If you're doing it the traditional way that insurance agencies have done it for decades, where you've got basically two levels in your org chart there is you at the top, and then there's everyone else on a singular level where you have a CSR who does service work, perhaps some quoting, and you've got a producer who does the sales stuff, the point of sale closes the deal, and then perhaps if you're, you know, a little bit more well-staffed, you've got a business development or a marketing person who's going out and stirring the water and getting opportunities for your producers to do their thing. What I just described is the standard org chart for just about every independently owned retail insurance agency in the country, unless they are innovating. Something that I would ask for you to consider is ways to shake that up. Perhaps you can have your CSRs be more of an inside sales role where they are actively cross-selling the existing book, where they are teeing up the producer to have point-of-sale conversations, where they are assisting the perhaps the renewal or the remarketing team with getting out in front of the client contact with annual renewal conversations. And There's a lot of different things you can do with roles and responsibilities, with team member expectations to innovate the process inside your team to give people a job description that better aligns with their skill set and their desires. So take a good look at that. Uh, The expectations that you have for your team members, I would just encourage you to be looking for ways to innovate there to better align their desires and skill set with your organizational best outcomes. If we're having a round hole and square peg conversation, then it's probably a good indicator uh, that you need to do something to perhaps innovate internally. Also in this internal conversation is the entire notion of leadership from your perspective, as well as the culture, the identity, the core values, the mission, the vision that you cast as the leader of your company. How are you defining culture? How are you casting the vision to help your people see what is possible to get their buy-in on everything that you are trying to accomplish? How are you innovating in the way that you communicate and act and set the example for your team? Because there's no way around the simple fact that whatever you do, your team is very likely to do as well. Whatever example, whatever habit you have, your team is likely to exemplify that habit as well. So whatever we can do to innovate and better align our day-to-day activity with our vision and values, because if they're just something on a plaque in your entryway, in your reception area, if you have one of those in your office, your team is going to know very quickly that uh, you're full of it and it's all just talk and it doesn't actually mean anything at a ground level. Something I want you to, to put on your reading list if you haven't already read through it a couple of times, it's a book by Patrick Lencioni and the title is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, Patrick Lencioni also has a great book called The Advantage and we'll talk about that um, a little bit more down the road, but those two books, namely The Five Dysfunctions of a Team and The Advantage. Within the context of of the conversation of organizational leadership and culture, uh, those two books are very insightful in helping you as a leader identify inconsistencies between what you say is important to you and what your actions tell your team is important to you. This also goes into Uh, Compensation because, uh, as we have heard a thousand times, as James Clear so aptly put it in his book Atomic Habits, what gets rewarded gets repeated, what gets punished gets eliminated. So, if there's something that you are wanting your team to do more of, then you need to be looking for ways to reward them when those things happen. There's so many different ways you can innovate, and it's really as simple as asking people. Hey, how do you feel appreciated? What motivates you to take above and beyond action in my office? And as silly as it sounds, a lot of times it's as simple as the love languages conversation uh, that we would have in a in a personal relationship context, you know, the Gary Chapman 5 Love Languages book. Where we talk about physical touch, which obviously in a professional sense is a little inappropriate. HR might want to talk to you if uh, that is being expressed with your teammates. Uh, But also words of affirmation and quality time, uh, as well as good old-fashioned money, moolah, dinero, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people are motivated by money. A lot of people are motivated by extra time off, greater flexibility with their job schedule. Praising them in public. There's nothing to replace a good old-fashioned ad boy or ad girl. Or hey, you did a great job. I'm proud of your effort. Thank you for going above and beyond for the team. You know, thinking outside of the box in how you can motivate your team uh, and how you can innovate from an internal perspective. All of these things are going to help you impre- increase your uh, your productivity and net profit as well. So the last thing I'll say, and this kind of plays into what we've talked about in our uh, previous episodes that were similar topics, always be looking for ways to innovate the process, the workflow, the systems that are involved. This includes technology, but it also includes exactly how you're making stuff happen inside of your office. How does your team go about Uh, the process of running the business, of stewarding the clients, exactly the nuts and bolts that are happening from a day-to-day and a week-to-week. So just take a good look at that. Moving forward now into the external innovation part of the conversation. And there's really four areas here that we're going to talk about. Your channel partners, your industry colleagues, mergers and acquisition conversations, and then stewarding the carrier relationship, which also includes the reps that you work with. First off, the channel partner experience. How are we going to innovate in the channel partner experience? Every single channel partner out there, whether it is on the personal line side with realtors and loan officers, those are obviously the the most Obvious lowest hanging fruit in the channel partner ecosystem, but there's also so many other levels of the channel partner area Uh, Roads less traveled if you were there's lots of financial advisors life and health only agents um, CPAs bankers uh, attorneys um, lots of different attorneys, estate planning, business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, whatever the channel partner is, I mean, even if it's a non-traditional one like a, an auto body shop or something off the beaten path, how are we going to deliver something refreshing and interesting to them to lock down these people that we want to work with and make it impossible or virtually impossible for anyone else to get them away from us? because there's one thing you can always count on if there's a good channel partner that's working with you there are a lot of other local insurance people that want to take them away that want them to be their channel partner and you know it's it's not the uh, the Instagram you know meme thing of work every day like there's someone out there trying to take it all away from you but in this case, when it comes to channel partners, you absolutely should be taking that mindset. When it comes to innovation, the channel partner conversation is just critically important because if you're not innovating, if you're not delivering something different and unique to the people that you want to do business with, you can bet the competition down the street is And it's a great way to lose a good channel partner if you are stale and boring and uninteresting and someone down the street has found a way to build a better mousetrap because you're going to lose your channel partners to someone who's thinking ahead beyond the little, oh, hey, I'm going to bring donuts to your office or let me buy you lunch and tell you guys about insurance for your team meeting. Like that sort of nonsense just doesn't work anymore unless you are doing so much of it. Like you literally have people that are full time in your office that all they do is teach lunch and learns and drop off donuts. That it doesn't matter to you if you don't have retention of your channel partners. If you're just going to churn through them like internet leads, then fine, skip this part and move on to the next. But if you want to have quality channel partners that stick around for a long time, we need to be finding ways to innovate. A lot of times for us, for RiskWell, that means make it incredibly easy for them to do business with you in the way that they want to, in a way that delivers the real value as quickly and as easily as possible with as little resistance As possible in the workflow, we set up custom landing pages for each of our channel partners, make it very easy for them to install us and our process into the middle of their workflow, whether it's a financial advisor that is including an insurance review in the regular financial review for their clients if it's a loan officer we might focus more on the refi rather than the purchase uh, because everyone who is doing a refinance is almost certainly open to an insurance conversation because they're already looking at all the other components of their mortgage and for a lot of these people the insurance is packaged with the mortgage anyway so all the the focus on the purchase side of the real estate you're going to be missing a lot of opportunities for refinance just as one little example, whatever it looks like for you to innovate, maybe it is a focus on old-fashioned values like handwritten thank you cards, like inviting your channel partners to an appreciation event at your office or at a local uh, food or beverage establishment, You know, hosting a happy hour for a specific industry of channel partners and encouraging them to invite their clients and friends where you can play Rainmaker instead of the person who's actually looking for real referrals. Hosting these sort of industry-specific events, you know, maybe have a speaker come in and have the channel partners invite their colleagues and clients who may want to hear a a well-known speaker or author. There's a lot of different ways you can innovate here, and I don't mean to beleaguer the point, so I'm going to go ahead and move on. But whatever you are doing, I would challenge you to look for ways that are aligned with your vision and values to innovate the channel partner experience moving now to talk about collaborating with industry colleagues i'm first thinking of iaoa as you'll probably get tired of hearing me say um, pretty regularly The group on Facebook has become such a central part of how we do business with RiskWell, Uh, not just because I am an egomaniac and I love hearing the sound of my own voice, but mainly because there are a lot of good opportunities for us to receive referrals from other insurance people who, for whatever reason, are not equipped or don't feel comfortable attacking a commercial risk. Typically, it's something that's more Uh, interesting or complex on the real estate investor side of things, Uh, construction, roofers. These are usually where the referrals come from. But the opportunity to collaborate with industry colleagues in a specific vertical is fantastic because it helps us be legitimate experts in whatever we want to be real experts in. But it also enables us to have an outlet for the stuff that comes in our office that we'd be reaching on, that we are not the best fit for the prospect. I can't tell you how many referrals I've sent out for various things. Typically, it's in transportation or automotive or in um, like home health, for instance, uh, med spas. There's a few things that we regularly will send out. Uh, to someone else, anything in the nonprofit world, you can almost bet i 'm going to be sending it out to someone else because i 'm not the best fit for that i don 't have a lot of experience in the nonprofit world, uh, DNO and dealing with volunteers there 's a, a million different flavors of the nonprofit world, so you can bet if I get a request for that i 'm probably going to farm it out. But on the flip side of that it 's great to be able to have industry colleagues that think of us as legitimate experts for instance in real estate whether it's commercial mixed use property or a large rental portfolio or a large uh, apartment complex you know we we get probably 5 or 6 referrals from other insurance agents every month and most of them are very specific to the areas that i just mentioned which means our closing percentage is very likely And our average revenue uh, for those makes it well worth the amount of time that we spend in IAOA and related groups. So moving now into the conversation of potential merger and acquisition candidates. When you're looking for ways to innovate externally, it's also a great idea to be as well connected as possible for identifying and nurturing relationships for people that you might want to have an M&A conversation with in the future. These sorts of things have an incredibly long tail, and most people are never going to be in a situation where they're responding well to a cold call. But if you are developing relationships years in advance, certainly at least months in advance it can be a great opportunity to identify good candidates for merger and acquisition for whatever reason. There's a lot of different reasons why someone who is currently in an ownership position of an agency would consider a mergers and acquisition conversation. So I'm not going to get into that. We can definitely have that conversation in detail later. But when you're looking at ways to grow, addition by multiplication is definitely a good thing to consider because If you can get good funding from someone like Live Oak Bank, for instance, Kelly Droussard is a a wonderful resource. Uh, They're not a sponsor of this show, but I have had multiple conversations and very positive experience with Live Oak Bank uh, from an M&A funding perspective. But there's a lot of community banks. There's a lot of resources within the insurance vertical Um, I'm trying to think what the other one is. It's it's West something is in the name of that other one that gets tagged quite a bit in IAOA for M&A funding, uh, acquisition funding, uh, book purchase conversations. But having these innovative processes for how are you going to find and recruit and nurture relationships for potential future M&A candidates, that's something you really need to think hard about.
1: Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right, I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers and I said to him, dude,
0: Lastly, for the internal innovation part of our conversation, we're going to talk specifically about the carrier relationship, the stewardship. How are we going to innovate this relationship? Are we going to keep track of each production in our AMS? Are we going to have an idea of who we haven't really fed recently? So when the conversation comes up with a rep. You already know what your production is year to date. You know what your retention is, the class codes that you're having the, the biggest success with, what is commonly referred to as the hit list in the carrier world. How are we going to innovate our carrier relationship stewardship? How are we going to decide if it makes sense to add another contract or not? Um, perfect example. There is a small carrier here in uh, Texas. I believe they only operate in Texas and Oklahoma. They are definitely a regional. They're called Germania. And um, for the, a certain profile of client, Germania is very, very effective. And it's been a hole in our portfolio of carriers for a while. And it's taken literally a year. Uh, to get on with them because being located in DFW uh, in a very high hail uh, prone, cat prone area makes it difficult for a lot of carriers to consider us even if we might be a great fit for the relationship. They're scared to death of loss ratio and the cat exposure so it's very hard to get certain carriers to even take a look at risk well even though our growth curve and, and overall loss ratios are very favorable. So, we had the stewardship conversation in, in my office several months ago and made the decision that we did want to go hard after Germania, but at the same time, on the commercial side, uh, this is happening independently of Germania, obviously, but we took a look at things with Nationwide as a carrier and where their product mix, their strengths and, and opportunities, where they want to write, and we made the decision that there was significant enough overlap With Liberty Mutual, which is one of our core carriers we write a good amount of business with, between Liberty and State Auto, it didn't make sense for us to continue working with Nationwide uh, at this time. So rather than waiting for them to get mad at us for lack of production and pull the contract a year from now, I took a look at the overall picture and made the decision, you know what, If we're going to steward this relationship effectively it doesn't make sense for us to continue unless we are going to be intentional about feeding this carrier and when their appetite is very well overlapped with other carriers that we are more favorable towards in this market cycle it makes sense to set aside this relationship and voluntarily give up this contract knowing full well that if we do that it makes it much easier for us to pick it up again in the future This is something that we're going to talk a lot about in future episodes, I'm sure, when it comes to stewarding carrier relationships, but it is a really big, important thing for a captive agent to understand because it's such a misconception that you can just have as many carriers as you want and you can access everybody and it's just going to be one big party you know, a, a festival of 200 carriers in your office. It, the simple fact of the matter no. is that that is not true. It is absolutely not true. And worse than not true, it's foolish. And it can be detrimental to the overall health of your agency if you're not thinking about stewarding and potentially surrendering carrier relationships when it's not making sense in the bigger picture of your office. So innovation in the area of... How do you maintain your relationship with your carriers in a forward-thinking and proactive manner? Let me tell you, giving up an appointment is a hard thing to think about. But when you go into the bigger picture and you realize that consolidation of your efforts in production are going to make you more profitable and more productive overall and make it easier to maintain the relationships that you have and make those thriving relationships Overall, innovating in those areas are a very, very good idea. So, moving now into the sales process. We've already talked about this a little bit, and I'm running a little bit longer than I wanted to be, so I'm going to speed this up for the next couple of things here. How are we going to innovate our sales process from start to finish, from the initial contact with the client through the end of? the point of sale when they become a client. They say yes, you handle post-binding obligations and get them in, check all the boxes, and send out the thank you cards and move on to the next client. How are you going to innovate that process? And how are you going to deliver a legitimate wow to the prospect? What are you going to do from a technology, from a human optimization perspective? How are you going to make the process more streamlined and effective inside of the sales process? What can you cut out that maybe doesn't fit your vision and values? How can you better align the activity of your team to the best possible experience for the client? We don't have time to jump into any specifics here, but I'll just ask the question, how can you make your sales process better, more enjoyable, more efficient, for your team and for your clients. How can we you know, get in with vendors, with insure tech companies, with programs that can help you speed up and innovate and remove stumbling blocks from getting someone to the initial, hey, how's it going, to the thanks for your business? That's going to be something that we will spend a lot of time in in the coming weeks and months in this podcast. Lastly, in the innovational concerns is going to be the topic of client stewardship. And very simply, this comes down to how can we innovate the ongoing experience, the nurturing of the client relationship once someone says yes. In my office, we have what we call activity qualifiers. Uh, This helps us determine exactly how we should be stewarding the ongoing relationship for the client we talked about this a little bit in episode two with the conversation of terminate automate delegate and then do it yourself so i'm going to jump through this pretty quickly the the three questions build on each other when we're asking the question how should this be done from a client stewardship perspective if it is a service call if it's a blog post if it's a nurture of some kind Uh, asking for the referral, asking for the review. There's a lot of different things that come into the stewardship. But the simple fact comes down to is, as with anything else, we really should be looking at the activity qualifiers to help us determine how we're going to handle this responsibility. The first is simply terminate. The question is, should we be doing this activity at all? Is it meaningful for the client experience? Is it effective Uh, insert here, whatever that might be. Uh, The second one is going to be automate. If it's something that we should be doing and you agree that, yes, this is not something we should terminate, we should continue doing it in some fashion. The next question is simply, should we automate this procedure, this activity? Can we get a machine to do it well? Is there something that we can set up in a uh, better agency or whatever CRM you are using? Uh, Active Campaign, Zoom, Insured Mind, HubSpot, Zoho, whatever your flavor is, is there something that you can do inside of your CRM or your management system to automate the touch point to help the client feel good about the interaction? The third question is simply can we delegate it? And when you as the executive are deciding who should be doing it you've already passed the first gate of should it be terminated and decided that it should not then the question is can we automate this and if you make it to the third question then you've already decided you don't want a machine doing it you want a human doing it so the question then becomes can someone on your team do it well or is it something that you should be doing yourself if your team can do it well then you should have them do it and you should stay in the realm of executive function and make sure that however you're spending your time is worth what it should be from a time value of money perspective like we talked about in episode two. So those are the three questions and then the end result. If it's important enough to not terminate, not automate and not delegate, then if it's something that you need to be doing yourself for now, then go ahead and do it. And we want to be as much as possible in the stewardship process. We want to automate that nurture the client touch point during the sales cycle, being reminded to reach out to someone on a quarterly basis to check in about their uh, revenue progress, their payroll, to help stay in front of those nasty premium audit conversations. You can automate that where the task pops up in your calendar once every three months for an account. Or in, in your CRm or whatever, so you 're not having the little collection of sticky notes or or something on a whiteboard. You want to make sure you 're staying in front of the renewal game plan. For each line of business, you need to have some sort of plan of attack for every line of business and the renewal pipeline for that line of business. So no one has a sneak up surprise and you lose an account from simple neglect that was easy to stay in front of if you would have automated and stewarded the client relationship better. So the last thing we'll talk about in this area is systematically asking for the review and the referral and finding innovative ways to do that, whether it's through automated text message or email. If you are attacking them from different angles, from the CSR on the team, from the director of happiness, when they come in uh, to the office for communication that is completely unrelated to the sales cycle, are we asking them, Uh, for the review for the referral systematically most offices the answer is no and as i record this in may of 2021 my office is about to cross over 300 google reviews and the only reason that's possible is because we are systematic and very intentional in how we engage with the clients in those areas and judging from the data that i'm seeing uh, those are very effective ways for us to be growing profitably so done with innovation moving now into the financial side of things this is going to be something where most people um, start to roll their eyes or just um, you know tune out and move on to things that are more interesting and fun to talk about one of the biggest areas of you know danger, I'm not sure what to call it. One of the biggest areas of opportunity for knowledge growth in the captive agent world is when it comes to your numbers, when it comes to financial concerns. I'm going to run through some key metrics real quick, and these will all be on the episode notes. So again, if you uh, want to copy these notes for your future reference, just visit uh, agencyfreedompodcast.com. And you can request those on the email list, and we'll send them to you every Friday. So a few things that you should be very familiar with is overall production, closing percentage, profit, retention as a total number, and by line of business. You need to know what your breakdown is. Um, For each of those byline of business, who's your best lead source, your best channel partner? Of all the marketing channels available to you, which one do you get the most traffic when you close the most business? Where's the revenue come from in those marketing channels? And what's the profit for those marketing channels? If I gave you $10,000 right now and said you have 10 seconds to tell me the best, most effective way to spend this $10,000 marketing and advertising for your agency would you know exactly what that number or that deployment of capital needs to look like? Simply put, where does your best ROI come from? We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, and I will address it again because it bears repeating. The simple fact of this conversation is that most captive agents care about premium first and revenue second because their product mix is so small that they can get away with that without it being a a real problem. When you're an independent agent, if you are stuck in the premium mindset, you're not going to be seeing all of the forest. You're only going to be seeing a couple of trees because the commission percentage from one carrier to another could be drastically different. If you have carrier A that pays 12% new business and carrier B pays 15% new business, well, what's the increase... Uh, From 12 to 15, it's 25%. 25%. What's the difference in your overall annual profit if you're getting 25% more on the top line from carrier A versus carrier B? If you think in those terms then it's really going to be reflective of your activity and the way that you are preferencing the carriers in a coin flip situation obviously if there's material benefit to the client for one carrier or another then you're going to be asking for one uh, and discarding the other but if there's not an ethical consideration to which carrier needs to be put out there if they are relatively the same, then obviously, you're going to want to pay close attention to the carrier that pays you 25% more. So thinking in terms of premium as the primary measure of performance is an antiquated, ineffective, captive way of thinking. You really should be preferencing gross revenue and then net profit, otherwise known as net operating income. If you're thinking in terms of revenue and profit, you're making decisions based on acquisition cost per channel. If you're looking at lifetime total value, LTV, of the client, then that's going to help you make decisions on where you put your effort and where you put your money. The next thing I'll say very simply is that you really need to get a CPA and a bookkeeper who can help you stay in front of things because if you want to play like you know everything yourself uh, and you want to run all of your own books and you want to handle your own taxes and your own filings, well, that's great. But then it's pre- going to prevent you from you know, being an executive and being the CEO rather than the CFO or COO. If you're the CEO, you've got to stay in the realm of executive function. You've got to be delegating and farming out all of the things that get in the way of you being an executive. So if you don't have a CPA and a bookkeeper that are going to help you do all of those financial things... I suggest very strongly that you get after that right now. And as we've said in previous episodes, you really need to consider having a fractional CFO that understands your business and can help you with strategic planning, with goal setting, with budgeting, with forecasting, all of these things that will help you interact with your CPA and bookkeeper uh, a lot more effectively. Yes. So as we do this, we really need to be mindful of staying in front of the numbers if you don't have a baseline financial body of knowledge, then educate yourself on these super simple basics. You know, there's a million videos on YouTube to help you with balance sheet knowledge, income statements, profit and loss, having a very basic general familiarity uh, with what's commonly referred to as GAAP, the generally accepted accounting practices. You don't have to be an accountant or a CPA to have a basic understanding of how those things are going to affect your business. So I would definitely say outsource to the CPA and the bookkeeper, but you also want to be able to hold people accountable to a high level of expertise and know if someone is BSing you because you have a good, just super basic understanding of the nuts and bolts for the financial side of your business. It is something very important uh, to talk about from the concept of scaling. If you're going to have any real success, you really have to understand the financial side of things. You have to know your numbers. You have to know where you are in relation to your objective, your goal. And if you're just spending your dollars and cents willy-nilly without an overall very clearly defined plan, then I question the effectiveness of reaching those goals Because if you're not intentionally deploying your capital, do we even really know what's happening with your money? You're not going to have as much money if you don't know where it's being spent. I mean, just really quickly, it's totally okay to spend money however you want to. And as business owners, it's very difficult because it all comes from the same bucket. The personal and the business come from the same bucket. But as long as you are directing your money and not just allowing it to flow wherever it goes you're going to be a lot more effective in getting things done in the way that you really want to in a bigger picture when it comes to your money and how that gets spent. So very quickly, we're going to look at the... The sales funnel, we're going to look at this from a reverse engineering perspective so we know exactly what activity is needed to meet your goals. This is incredibly important when we're talking about meeting these goals uh, when it comes to working backwards up the sales funnel because time management is definitely not a thing. No. But activity management and planning out your activity ahead of time to know exactly how to get to the desired end result We're going to work backwards here from the bottom of the sales funnel all the way up to the top. The first is net profit achieved. In order to get to your target net profit, how are you going to do that? How many accounts do you have to close and in what line of business to get there? From the accounts closed, okay, let's look at the real data. How many accounts do you have to have a delivered quote to in order to get the number of accounts closed that you want to. Simply put, what is your closing percentage by line of business? What's your overall closing percentage? Quotes delivered. I'm not talking about quotes prepared, but actually delivered and discussed with the insured. Our closing rate as an office, when we do the sales process and deliver a recommendation to our prospect, is about 72% at risk well. So, that number is a lot higher than average because the number of quotes that we actually deliver is a lot smaller than some other offices. We are not just firing from the hip. We have expectations from the client throughout the sales process, so our volume is a lot smaller uh, than other offices our size, but our percentage is significantly higher. From business quoted going up the pipe, the uh, the sales funnel, I should say how many appointments do we need to have kept? How many appointments have to be made in order to reach the number kept? If your ratio of appointments made to appointments kept is a breakdown, a a bottleneck in your sales funnel, that will help you understand what you need to be doing with your team to get them to the desired number for each one of these metrics. From the appointments made, how many prospects, like legitimate prospects, need to be Put into the sales funnel where we have a discovery call on the front end and then it's followed up with an appointment of some kind now the the initial phone conversation with someone calls in or emails or hits you up on facebook or whatever how many of those prospects are making an appointment for a discovery call and then going backwards to the very top of the sales funnel with the least amount of engagement How many leads do you have to pour into the top of the sales funnel to get the desired number of prospects? So going back down the funnel, it is lead becomes a prospect, then that prospect makes an appointment. That appointment is either kept or not kept. Now, if the appointment is kept, then a business piece of business is going to be quoted and recommended to the prospect. Then a certain number of those recommendations are going to be accepted and closed And then a certain amount of of revenue and net profit is going to be achieved. And that is the sales funnel. So knowing your numbers and finding ways to innovate inside of your office to get you to the desired outcome becomes incredibly, incredibly important. Because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know where where the ship is being steered. You don't know the direction of things. And if you can't reverse engineer your sales funnel for a given line of business, for a given program, that should be one of the very first things you do is figure out what your actual numbers are, figure out what your goal is for that line of business or overall, and then attack. Reverse engineer what the desired end result is and break it down into manageable bite-sized pieces of practical regular daily and weekly activity to get you to the desired outcome one step at a time. We're going to finish this episode up with some environmental concerns. and As I said at the beginning, this is very similar in general concept to the physical that we talked about uh, from episode 4. But it's also different because when we talk about the environmental concerns, we're not talking as about the specifics of the physical office location and uh, where you are. Are you in a a bank building? Are you upstairs in a high rise? Do you have a a retail storefront? Are you in an executive suite somewhere? We're not really talking about that kind of question, uh, except for the conversation of what is ideal for your headspace for your team, and what they want to do. Uh, Which of those options, from a physical standpoint, best aligns with your vision and values for how your team is made up? So how can your office environment promote a positive mental state, promote uh, the the action, the follow-through on desired habits? Going back to what we just talked about in the financial side of things, How are we going to set up your office in such a way that everyone is mindful of the things that you want them to be mindful about? Talking about from an ergonomic perspective, does your work area, the physical space that you occupy, your desk, your chair, the room in your building, the kitchen, the break room, the accessibility of food and beverage, of snacks. We are humans, and snacks are generally a good thing. I don't know about you, but mid-morning, around 10.30 or so, my blood uh, sugar levels tend to dip a little bit, so I might get a handful of almonds or a pretzel twist or an apple or whatever it happens to be. What kind of accessibility do you have in your office to help your team stay at their peak wellness, both uh, mental as well as physical. Does your physical work area, does it promote a positive mental state and physical wellness? Do you need to perhaps have a stand-sit desk? Do you need to have uh, one of those Swiss balls that you activate your core in? Do you need to set a timer for once an hour to go off if you have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or something? Do you need to stand up from your chair and do a little stretching exercise or Maybe it's something from a, a breathing or in some way change the blood flow so that you can remain in a positive headspace. So everything can be done exactly as it should be to maintain, to use a biological term, to maintain homeostasis, the optimal physical and mental state. Because your physical and environmental um, state is going to dictate your mental health. It's going to dictate uh, your physical wellness as well. What can you do in your environment to reflect your core vision and values? Uh, how do you want your team to be laid out? Is everyone going to have their own office uh, with a closed door? Are you going to have a little uh, half wall where people have a, a glass wall where you can see what someone's doing? Or are they going to have something a little bit more open like a pod or a cube farm or out just have everyone in an office together where everyone can generally hear what everyone else is doing? Are you going to have people working from home? You're going to have regular Zoom calls or throughout the day having video calls between team members that are not in the same physical location from each other. So thinking about your environment, think about how you can facilitate ideal habits being done uh, on a regular basis where follow through is happening the things that you say are important to you. And if you're in an office environment where you have a non-traditional makeup of your team from uh, some may be remote or hybrid or virtual or they're in a different country, uh, depending on how your office is set up. But whatever your physical space, strongly recommend that you give consideration to how you can optimize it from an environmental perspective to advance the things that you say are important to you and your team. And if you haven't put thought into uh, what is the best environment from, you know, executive suite, office building, retail storefront, et cetera, the marketplace is changing in, in crazy ways that weren't even considered a decade ago. And asking yourself the hard questions of, do I even need to have a conference room? Or can I just have a room with comfortable chairs and, you know, maybe a beanbag or something for team meetings? Uh, do we need to have team meetings where everyone is uh, zooming in uh, and sitting at their desk, or you know, coming in from home? There's so many different questions when it comes to environment and the physical space that you occupy that you need to be putting thought into, so that you can optimize that for whatever your desired outcomes and goals are. And to kind of put this episode a little bow on top, and, and you know, put the cherry and whipped cream on top of this Sunday to use a food analogy if you're gonna be knowing your financial um, numbers, if you're gonna be knowing exactly what your sales process, your client relationships, your internal and external innovations, all of those things come together in your physical space. So anything you can do to help your physical body, your mental health be optimized is going to have systemic benefits throughout the rest of the stuff that we've talked about today. So just to recap, Look for as many opportunities to innovate as possible, starting with your team and then going from there out to external relationships, the sales process as itself, and stewarding the client relationship after someone says, yes, I want to do business for you. What happens after that? From there, it's as simple as knowing your numbers and being able to reverse engineer your sales funnel, your pipeline. To figure out exactly what your goals are and what your specific activity needs to be in order to reach them. And lastly, as we just got finished talking about, you want to optimize your physical environment so it better, it best reflects exactly what you are trying to accomplish so you can maintain peak mental and physical health so that you can put fuel in the machine and make stuff happen. Because, you know, not to have a, a theological or spiritual conversation, but Uh, When the Bible says your body is a temple, if you are treating it like a temple, uh, having reverence for uh, the way that you care for your body, it will certainly care for you and better prepare you to dominate your market and all the things you're trying to accomplish, uh, which hopefully this podcast is helping you do. So that's it for the content for episode five. Again, I will simply ask, as I did at the beginning, please subscribe if you haven't already. Please consider leaving a review if you get good content. If, if listening to me is worth your time, it is worth leaving a review, and thank you in advance for that. And the last thing I will say is please share this podcast, episode five or one, or really anything else you want to share with a captive person a captive agency owner or someone who works at a captive agency because i want them to experience the wonderful beautiful thing of being a freedom jumper of flapping your wings however you see fit so thank you for watching or listening i should say because you're not watching yet you will be very soon when we start the interviews there will be a video version of this podcast so stay tuned Again, if there's anything that I can help you with, if you have suggestions, requests, complaints, really anything, email us at podcast at I'm your host, James Jenkins. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help you go from captive to indie to market domination. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you soon. Thanks.
1: Are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the L-A-A-I-A? The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker, Trisha Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been Cass approved.